All right, everybody, welcome to this week's Learning the Tropes. I'm Erin. I'm Clayton. I'm your romance novel veteran. And I'm the virgin. You're not a virgin anymore, Clayton. Stop saying that. (laughs) And I was also about to say, I'm like, I'm not also a veteran of the three of us. Like, I feel like, so we have Jennifer from Faded Mates here, obviously. Hi, everybody. I'm so excited. (laughs) Well, now Um, I feel stupid for wearing white. (laughs) Sorry. No one wears white. Sorry. It's before, isn't it like before Memorial Day? I don't know when this is going to air. So who knows? Maybe white wearing season is upon us. But you know what, Clayton? It's okay. You can wear whatever you want to the wedding these days. In fact. The veil's a little much, right, Erin? In this book, our bride did not wear white to the wedding. She wore a gold lame mini dress. So fine. To the first wedding and to the second wedding, she wore a white button down in jeans that she couldn't snap up, which after (laughs) after over a year of quarantine, who among us can button their jeans? (laughs) Not me. It was a good old circus (laughs) wedding. (laughs) Um, So this episode came about from Twitter where I don't even remember the original. I was about I was going to look it up, but then I got distracted. This book, Kiss an Angel by Susan Elizabeth Phillips, comes up like every few weeks on Twitter. Somebody's like, Have, has anyone read this book? And everyone is like, yes, it's amazing. And then Jen basically wrote back to me and said, I want to become on Learning the Tropes and talk about this book. And we were like, yes, obviously. I This book is, yeah. I mean, I think you're right. Like, we'll like dig that up. But like, for sure, so often, like this book will come up and people will be like, wait, what? Because it <laughs> is like so many bananas things all in a row and then like add more bananas to it it's it's amazing yeah she just she decided that she was going to dial it up to 11 which she often does like yeah anyway uh, i feel like we're getting ahead of ourselves because first we need to judge these covers yes and i don't like either of them (laughs) what do you guys think no i agree the so we have the original paperback which is from 1996 and it looks very much like a young, I, I guess it looks like, I don't even want to say young adult. It looks younger than that. It, it looks like half of a young, young girl's face with a crown. Right. I thought this would be like a Princess Diaries type book from that cover. And then the mm-hmm. second cover, the Kindle 2009 one, is just a beach. Right. It's a beach with two beach chairs that are empty and a beach umbrella, which I was they like, go to the beach for a hot second in the, in Jersey. I in was. I was like, where are, where is the tiger? Where is the circus? Where is, right? Like, this is so weird. It was so weird to me, for sure. Yeah. If you picked up this book not knowing anything about it, you're not getting what has being sold to you on the front. Like, yeah. The, the beach scene is, like, the original paperback that's, like, half the woman's face. It looks like Bridget Moynihan. I is fine, I guess, because it's supposed to be like a pr- pampered girl, princess crown. Okay, maybe. But then I feel like the Kindle version, it is, yeah, it's a beach scene. Like, I'm expecting that to be like Knights and Rodanthe style or something. And it's so weird that it's like, yeah, the only time that they're on the beach, it's the boardwalk in Jersey. And there's like tourists yelling at them as they're trying to talk. So it's like, not the vibe. Yeah. So now I I don't want to like show off here, but I read this ori- like okay, so I just texted you both the cover 
from like the paperback I still have. Wow. Oh, wow. Because I really love this effing book, okay? And I, this, okay, and I don't honestly, you all, I do not even know what is happening on this cover because it's like, there's like a green heart with a swan, maybe, and some birds flying around. And then it's like a tunnel of love thing. Yes, exactly. But even that is like so strange because. And then, like, there's something, is it, like, an angel above the little heart? Who knows? So, yeah. that's It's like a, like, it's <laughs> carnival, not circus, yes. if anything, right? right. It, yeah, mm-hmm. exa- that's a good point. It just feels like whoever designed that cover was like, oh, circus, and then did Tunnel of Love, not, you know, the big top. So, I don't know. It's the mysterious ways of the 90s romance, I guess, but... I know. I didn't even see that on Goodreads. I'll I'll put that in our on Instagram. Yeah, That's amazing. It's like a real and like I said, I should have dug it out of like this box I have. Like you know what I mean. But this is the one I remember reading when I first read it. And you know, it's all text. That's the other thing, right? Susan Elizabeth Phillips is really big. Kiss an Angel's really big. There's not even really any hint at all of of like what it's about. But also, what could you hint at? But so Clayton, <laughs> Clayton, can you tell us what is this book about? Oh my goodness! <laughs> uh, there's so much to dig into that I'm going to tr- try to be very succinct with this. So this book is about Daisy, who is a prim, girly girl, who her father sets up a marriage to Alex Markov, who is this really handsome Russian guy, who performs at the circus and he takes her to the circus and says, your dad's paying me to be married to you for six months. And she's going to get money after six months. If she stays in this marriage because her dad is rich. And so it's a marriage of convenience. He's incredibly cruel to her for a very, very long time. She starts performing with him. She starts befriending animals when she was afraid of, animals to begin with she's still afraid of dogs but she can lay down (laughs) in tiger cages sure and then there is there's russian royalty involved in this (laughs) at some point there's also a side romance with two of the most i wow i mean can you how do you even describe brady and sheba's relationship other than masochistic i guess (laughs) That that's basically the book. I mean, it is there is a half, happily ever after. There is a baby involved that Alex doesn't want at first. There is a okay. We're getting. I'm getting ahead of myself. But there is a <laughs> groveling scene that is oh, insane. Listen. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. I here's. I guess what I would just add is Daisy is at the beginning. Her both her father and Alex think she's like a real like feather brain. There's a lot of real, uh, a lot, a lot of negative talk about Daisy's like ability to just like do things and take care of herself. She's like a ditz. She's like whatever. They're terrible to her. And so, Alex's job, along with like kind of staying married for six months, is to like toughen her up. So that's why you know he's like, we're gonna, I'm performing the circus, and you're gonna come along and like learn how to work hard and be a productive member of circus society well well so jen you you mentioned because you have 
uh, a book that has probably the original cover. Yeah. What? It, how did you find out about this book originally? You you yeah. you read this when it first came out, so that was ninety six ish. Sure. So it's funny because this is. So I was a big Susan Elizabeth fan, and I've always been a romance reader. So in 1996, I would have been living in Texas doing Teach for America. And, you know, I would have just been, like, trolling the Barnes & Noble. I mean, one of the things about now is, like, you know when books are coming out, right? Like, you can be like, oh, the release date is. But back then, you would just show up at the, the bookstore and, and be like, oh, a new Susan Elizabeth Phillips, right? So this is somebody I had read um, and like would have probably like immediately picked this book up just because I liked other books by her. Um, and you know, like I said, it, I can, I feel like I have a clear vision of it on like one of those like, like spinner things or whatever, right? Those like little mass market paperbacks. Yes. Right. So I, and you know what, even though I, so I've always just been like a romance reader and I definitely just, it would have been something where I was like, oh, I like this author. She has a new book out and I just would have picked it up to read it. Um, And then I will tell you what, for, and I carried it around with me, right? So I've moved from Texas, I moved to California and then to Seattle and now to Chicago. And so the books that like made it all the way definitely had something about it that like really stuck with me. But I re- I would say in the past couple of years, since I started doing romance reviewing again, I read it, reread it in its entirety again, probably for the first time in 15 years or whatever, 20 years, and was like, holy shit, what is going on with this book? And I love it. And since then, I have probably, I routinely reread the last quarter of this book because I think it is, I think in terms of like emotional payoff, it is unparalleled. Yeah. Wow. So, so Aaron, can I ask you, because you, I'm I'm not on the Twitter. Everybody mm-hmm. listens to this knows I, I, I'm not on the Twitter. So you were saying <laughs> that this book gets a lot of Twitter talk. And I don't know why, because I don't follow it. And I told you, don't tell me, because I want to make sure I, I go into this completely clean. Yes. Ooh. So did you read this because you knew about it from Twitter? Or is it just, you know, you're the veteran. You've been around the block. This is just a book that you've seen. I read this the first time, I think, like, early in my reading of romance when I think before I was, like, tapped into the community at all. And I had just would just, like, troll Goodreads list to find what I wanted next. So, like, I would like a book and I would be like, oh, I like that trope. Let's see what's there. And this one kept coming up. On, on a, like a few different lists. And now when I went to make the show notes to see, it, it was on like 12 pages of Goodreads list. So like now I'm not surprised. Right. Um, and so it kept coming up. And so then I was like, oh, uh, a contemporary, I don't know so much, but finally I read it. And I was just like, what in the world is this? And also I love it. Like the thing about this book is, and we had a few people write into us through various means telling us they were mad at us because we were, they liked we were doing Susan Elizabeth Phillips, but we had picked the wrong book. And it seemed to be their understanding was we were going to talk about how bad this book is and how stupid or, and, or whatever. And I was like, no, this book is bananas and it is 
amazing. Yeah. <laughs> like this book is truly a mystery because there's a lot in it that is like hard to stomach. But for some reason, everything works. And this book is fairly long. It's almost 400 pages, but it is enjoyable the entire way. And it's so 90s and it is like so dated, but in a way that's super duper fun and not in a grading way. And like, I don't know how she pulls this off, but she does. And so like, yeah, to... um Spoiler, like really, I love this book yeah. and reading it the second time was a true joy. And I'm sure I will read it again at a certain stage. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. Clayton, so what was your feeling? You came in cold. Yes. So I started reading this book and then I had to look up when it was written. Mm-hmm. Because originally the, my Kindle version said 2009. I said this ain't 2009 because <laughs> yeah, right. there is a moment where Daisy mentions doing something romantic to Michael Bolton's version of <laughs> right. when a man loves a woman. And now listen, I'm a Bolton apologist. I love all his stuff. My mom was a huge Bolton head. She had all the tapes. Right. It got into my head. I'm, I'm a big soft rock fan just in general, adult contemporary. I love it. And But I read that, and I was like, someone wouldn't make that reference in 2009. So I saw that it was 1996, and I said, now this makes sense. I will say, and, everybody, you really have to go to Goodreads to get the original publication dates for things. Amazon will give you, like, the the latest time the file was updated, right? It's, yes. Yeah. So, yeah. absolutely. So I started reading this, and not knowing what the Twitter gab was and why you guys were very excited to, to talk about it. I was worried <laughs> and I shouldn't have been, but I was worried that you guys were just going to come on and make fun of this book. I know, I love this and book. I was going to be really upset because <laughs> I really love this book. You guys, it I, was so much fun. Yeah. I love this book. Uh, you know, there are a couple other things that I feel like are really dating it to the nineties. Um, Daisy is a smoker. No one ever smokes in romance anymore. Such a big one, yes. Right? Um, there's no... Well, there's like one mention of a cell phone, right? Like, You're like right. Right, like one. Oh, but the and cell it, phone like lives in the red wagon. Yes, it's like, not like... Like she only answers a cell phone in there, which is right, so funny. Right, like it's yeah. like the emergency phone for the circus or whatever. So it's, <laughs> you know, there's things like that that I think are... are, um, are like really place it like in that time and I think become really important. You know, I don't think you could update this because when she takes off at the end, she'd be like super easy to find if she had phones and credit cards. Right. And because of that, there's a way in which this book also feels like of its time. You're so right about that. The lack of cell phones. I love that. I love that because you had characters interacting with each other and having to speak to each other and if they weren't with each other they didn't really speak to each other other than occasional phone calls but those were how you used to call people which was rarely mm-hmm. and i i just yeah this i loved daisy's interactions with the animals her and the tiger <laughs> at first i mean sinjin i think that's how you say it sure that's how I'm going to say it, I guess. Th- that when they start like 
telepathically speaking to each other. I thought, what is this book? I am so into this now because I just, (laughs) I wasn't sure if there was going to be magical realism because the other thing too is, and I'm feeling like Daisy not knowing how this is done and I might be being blonde right now with this, dirty dishwater blonde, if I'm being honest. How did he make her cigarettes explode? Well, because he's a, it's like a circus trick. Okay. It's like a sleight of hand thing, I thought. Yeah, I that's how, right. So he's not magic? Because I, I, for, <laughs> for a minute there, I was like, he's magic. Because I didn't know what this book was. Right. I, I, going into this, I didn't know. And then he never does anything with fire again, other than he touched her boob and, and a spark <laughs> comes. And I was like, is this guy got fire? Does this guy have fire powers? And then when she's talking to the tiger... And she gets really hot. I was like, is she like into this tiger in a, in a sexual way? I didn't know. Well, but when he got really hot and then she hosed him down and then she felt better. I was like, what is going on here? I don't hate this. (laughs) You know, I, so here's what I'd say back to Alex. So I read it as because he grew up in the circus, he knew like he had an extensive background in all kinds of circus business right he knew everything about it he could literally step into any act or or whatever and Mm -hmm. but his preferred thing is like the whip and the horse like so that's like his main deal but i think he is like basically so good at all of it that's kind of how i read that it's just like a, a a trick he can do without even thinking about it but that's not even the thing he's best at he does the thing with the whip that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, the whips. Yeah. I, it was one of those things where that was Chekhov's whip. Oh, I was for waiting sure. for something to happen with this whip because there were so many whips around his uh, around the the trailer. Sure, she was obsessed with the whips because and so afraid she, of it, right? She yeah. was afraid of it. Yeah, which I mean, I would be too. But there was also, I think, a level of eroticism to it too, to her fear because she was what twenty six. Still a oh, virgin, yeah. which he gives her a lot of shit for. <laughs> he gives her a lot of shit for everything. Literally, yeah, there's nothing her... that she doesn't get shit for. Literal shit at the point where she gets in trouble. Like, right, so at one point, there's a theft from the the box office. And everyone thinks that she did it. And her punishment is to literally be scooping out the shit from the elephant's house or whatever. And so, yeah, it's like both literal and figurative shit for her from him for a lot of the book, which does make me wonder, like, why do I love it so much? Yeah, it seemed a lot because even when after they would have sex, he would get so close to loving her that he would get angry and he'd he'd wake up the next morning and yell at her for you didn't make the coffee or you didn't do that or you didn't do this or just complaining about stuff. And in her head, she'd say, well, he's just getting too uncomfortable with how close we're getting. He's just letting off some steam. Right. It's like, I mean, that could be true. I mean, he was abused. He was whipped as a young boy. He, he even claims I have tried to love and I can't. Right. And she, she is just so understanding of that in a way that, there's just an amount of abuse, though, that you can't put up with, even if you know somebody loves you. Well, but in this book, it's yeah. it's it just seems like normal. I'm going to suggest something to you that you're going to like, I think, Clayton, which is 
I think that Alex is a very like 90s style Derek Craven like hero. Right? Okay. So in the 90s, <laughs> I'm there, listening. I knew you'd like this. In the 90s in particular, one of like the iterations of the hero was I have been terribly hurt in my past. Either like as a child, I was abused, nobody loved me. And obviously this means I can never love anyone. So, right? And so this, I mean, I read a million books with that hero in the 90s. Mm-hmm. So in some ways, I think, you know, I, I'm glad to know that like reading it now, it like I'm always wondering, like, am I grandfathering this book in, right? Because I loved it when I read it in the 90s. Therefore, I like still love it and I can't see its flaws, But I think the thing that's like really well done in this book is that he is, I guess what I'd say is like, he's, he is terrible to her, but she is like, I believe in the goodness of all people. Mm -hmm. Right. It's like really well established. I grew up her, her like damage from her mom being essentially, um, you know, single mother and great in some ways and terrible in others. Like they just felt like the right, like they clicked together. And so in some ways I feel like she was like, I'm not going to let him change who I am. And that I think is why it worked for me. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's true. Cause she has that nature of like even Heather, right. she knew Heather stole the money, right? But she still took her under her wing. Mm-hmm. She, Heather even mentions because there's different points of view, which was interesting in this book too. We yes. we we shuffle between a lot of points of view, mostly Daisy, but it moves around. And Heather has that love hate with Daisy because she's in love with Alex. Alex looks at her as as a baby, and she talks about Daisy how she's so nice and she's always petting, she's always rubbing her back and rubbing her arm, and 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 Heather doesn't get love from her father. He's so Brady's another one. He's yes. he's from that same school as Alex, where there's a moment at the end where she's going to leave and go back to Wichita. He's sending her back. And she's like, don't come talk to me. Don't see me. I hate you. You never show me you love you love me. And in his mind, he's thinking, all I do is for you. And I love you so much. I can't believe you don't understand that. But then with their outward, how they behave, you could totally see you could totally interpret it as not love. And so the men in this are very much of that ilk, right? Where they're so closed off, they don't know how to say that they love somebody, but they think that you're going to pick up on it right. through, here, let me help you with this wheelbarrow. Right. And let me, you know, I'm going to make sure you don't date boys, and I'm going to push you hard, and I'm going to make sure you this, and that's, I'm going to make you tough. That is a form of love, and I understand it, but the communication isn't there like it is now. And I think reading this book, and I still loved it, and I understand those people completely, but it is nice to see now where we are in romance yeah. in these times where the communication is so much better. Right. That you do get men who clamp up and things, but not to the point of these heroes. Oh, yeah, not like this. I mean, the and also, like, the excessive secret keeping right so Mm -hmm. she doesn't know what his real job is she doesn't know that he has money she doesn't know anything about his family she right so you know one of the ways that he's gonna like protect himself 
and he tells himself it's to protect her is to like not disclose any of that information right that way she won't get too attached and you know we'll just be able to separate after six months like all of that felt very like reading it again it's like so so 90s like so 90s yeah Aaron, did you like i mean what do you think of all that it is one of those things like as you're reading it you're like this is gross and he's overly hard on her and all these things but I think part of it is that it is so steeped in the 90s that it's almost like um, watching an old movie or something and you're like yeah these people aren't acting the way that people act but it's like a stylized version so it's almost like this is like a stylistic version of the 90s that probably never really ex- I hope never really existed how could this <laughs> story have right. happened but it's it, this the idea of maleness in the 90s I think was very specific and so this all made sense within that and I think also it's for Daisy it's like she grew up without yeah. discipline and not that it's up to your romantic partner to discipline you unless you're into that <laughs> but I think it's like um she was a little bit yeah, Daisy she, I mean, she yeah. wasn't not into it. Yeah. They did a lot of role playing. Um, but, you know, her mother seemed to just view her as an accessory, yeah. um, you know, would bring her around. It was fun. Would be like, oh, go talk to this person. Go talk to this person. Her father seemed to like any t- like have no relationship with her, basically. Yeah. Um, and so then I think that there was somebody there who was like showing up day after day and and ha- was holding her to a certain standard. Uh, and was consistent with her. I think even though that consistency was, you know, him being overly critical was still like something that she really craved. And so it made sense why she stuck around. Um, and also I think you benefit a lot from being mostly in Daisy's point of view where you see like it doesn't really affect her that much until right. the end. Right. Like most of the time she's like, oh, whatever. Oh, he doesn't understand what he's doing. Like she can sort of see through the ex- the tough exterior as well. Right. And that was, I mean, I think for me, the thing also is this book is like really deeply emotional, which is like why I read romance. Right. I mean, like they're evolving like feelings for each other and how desperately he wants to like pull away and how she sees that and doesn't really blame him for it. And just thinks, like, I'm just going to, like, stay here and keep loving him. And, you know, he's going to figure it out sooner or later. Like, it's fascinating to me in some ways. Like, it's very much, I think, how, like, women are socialized to be in relationships, right? But also, she we are, like, told time and time again that, and this part is really interesting to me, too, that, like, she really believes and has, like, kind of craved a certain kind of... um like conservative like her mom like had this really outlandish lifestyle as a supermodel and like she really wants to just like be married and be a kindergarten teacher and have a husband and you know and so in some ways Alex's like domineering kind of style very much like matches up with what she thinks like a Mm -hmm. marriage should maybe look like at that time right yeah, she I, I like the thing she it is I think it's so realistic that she rejected her mom's freewheeling go go lifestyle by she doesn't swear. Right. She's a virgin still at 26. She Yeah, she chastises other people for swearing and things like that. So I do think that's really interesting. But then you see her with Alex and he does give her structure. But you see those that sexuality peeking out where she does want to be a little bit 
be a little bit kinky. And and he brings that out in her. Well, and I think, you know, I guess if that's your jam, like that's how it's supposed to work, right? You're like, I'm going to wait till I'm married. And then everything we do together is good, right? Mm-hmm. And And I don't, I would say this too, like she talks about God. It's not heavy handed. I wouldn't in any way call this like an inspirational romance. But like there's a part where she sort of thinks like I should just leave. I should not do this. And her like little inner monologue is like, you made these vows to God, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that's another reason why, um, like, I am very pro-choice. And when she, when Alex finds out she's pregnant. Okay, so like, let's talk about that for a minute, if that's okay. Mm-hmm. So sure, she has been taking what she thinks are birth control, control pills kind of religiously every day. Alex has been very clear. He does not want to ever be a father. He doesn't believe he would be a good father based on his own terrible childhood. And he can't love people. We all know it. Right? So... (laughs) I mean, just the whole, I can't love, I could not even love a child. It's like... No. And I know how heartbreaking it is to be a child without love. And I would never want to do that to a child. So So what ends up happening is um, it turns out that her father and his her stepmother have tampered with these pills. They're not birth control pills. So she gets pregnant and Alex is terrible to her and says like, we're going to, we're going to go away tomorrow. And when we come back, you will not be pregnant anymore. And she says, it's wicked. It's wrong. And I, I was not even upset by it because it perfectly fits in with like Daisy's, like there's no way she was ever going to do that. And it really is this question of like how far can you push someone right all of the things that Alex has done the small ways he was dismissive the fact that he didn't believe her when she said she didn't steal the money right all you know all those things she could forgive all of that but that was unforgivable and that's when it was over boom over she was like and now we're done yeah yeah well I'm like I'm obviously pro-choice as well, but I do think um, it's one of those things that it, it depends on the mother too. And she really wanted this child. Yeah. And I think she wanted the stability that a child would bring. Um, she wants to be a kindergarten teacher when the kids come. She like yeah. loves the kids. So well, and she it, loves you Alex. Know. Like there's no part yeah. of her that would ever like not love their baby, right? So it totally right. makes sense for her character. Yeah. Yeah. When she's already told him that she loves him and they're living in this like have been living in the state of seeming bliss for six weeks or so. Um, so, yeah, I mean, as much as I am pro-choice, I also don't think anyone should be forced sure, <laughs> to exactly. get an abortion, obviously. Right. That's but, not pro-choice um, either, right? <laughs> no, no, no. The choice part is the real important bit. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, that was also so she has known basically for a while and then, um, oh, I have like so many things. That, okay. So she's out for a while. She's like, I'm going to tell him, I'm going to tell him. She keeps not telling him, keeps not telling him. And then it's moments before they go on stage where he performs this whip trick with her. And she basically has to stand still while he like cuts a paper out of her mouth. Yeah. And there's a flat paper flower between her breasts and all these things. And I'm like, Daisy, you do need to tell him this is absolutely 100% the worst possible time to tell do yeah. not do this. And then she does. And of course, 
the worst thing happens like he accidentally whips her because he's like discombobulated and that, and that sort of is the catalyst for her the the him wanting her to get an abortion is what gets her to run but that is sort of the i think like the the thing that breaks her ultimately i think one thing that's really important about that scene like to me upon rereading is so this their thing when you work at the circus like there's everyone is part of like the acts like that's compulsory and there's like no it doesn't matter how tired she is it doesn't matter like you have to be you have to be there right and so there's no way at this moment that alex is not going to go out and and like perform with her right like that's just what they do like no matter what and so one of the things I thought was really interesting about that, though, is, like, Alex knows that the crowd is turning on them. And there's the, the really big thing about this book, besides Alex, like, no one, I can, you know, no one can love me and I can't love anyone, is his pride. Right? Like, mm. he's like, and this part was, like, <laughs> so, like, I'm sorry, some of it made me laugh. Right? Like, my pride is so great. I would never beg. I would never get on my knees. I would never say I beg you. I Like, I cannot do any of those things. And the thing that's really interesting about, like, before he, like, accidentally whips her is he knows, like, the text makes clear that he knows he should, like, wrap it up, but his pride won't let it end that way. So he's going to go in for, like, this one last trick. And I do think that that's, like, an important moment because I do think it's, like, he's already said something really terrible to her. But it's just like another moment where we see that he cannot like take care of her the way he needs to. He lets his mm-hmm. pride get in the fucking way. Right? And 100%. so Yeah. And I love this scene. Like you guys listen, I reread the scene all the time. So then he whips her and then she literally like he freaks out, right? He knows that he has hurt her. And he carries her out of the big top and she won't even look at him. Mm. Like she will not even look at him. And she just refers to him as the betrayer. Right? Because she knows at this moment, like, and we don't know, but she must be calculating. How am I going to get away from him? Because we're done. We're done. He he gives her all the information she wanted Mm -hmm. the whole time. I'm... I sell Russian art. I'm rich. I have a house in Connecticut. This, this, this. I'm a professor. I'm a part-time professor, which makes me very rich, which was also the view of academics in this book is fantastic because they're all so rich. So everything she wanted before he betrayed her and she's, like you said, she's done. She says, stop talking. Yeah. I don't want to hear it. I don't care. And it's really funny because just from... A guy's point of view. Women, and you've said this, when they're done, they're done. In a way that I don't think men are. I think men will still hold on and they'll still want to have a finger hold and they'll still think that there's something. But from my experience, I've been in relationships where a woman is done and she is straight up done. It does not matter what you do, what you say, how much you beg, what happens. It's over. And when when that happened, I I thought, oh God, this is not going to hit happily because she is done. She is like she done. is out with a huge O U T. Yeah. Period. And so for him to get her back, yes, that was what you know. I always go into these books thinking that I'm going to just go along for the ride, and a lot of times I do think, oh, how how are they ever going to get together? You know. 
But this was one of the ones where I was like, they're not getting back together. <laughs> yeah. Even though I knew that they were. Because it, it was such a hard out for her that, yeah, th- and that scene, like you said, it's so powerful because as soon as she told him, and I knew they had to go out, mm-hmm. and he'd have that whip, I thought, this is such great writing because yes. it's tightening the screws so tight. And then when it's not going well, it's that inevitability of his pride. Like you said, he is going to screw up. Pride come before the fall, right? Right. Something like that. And, <laughs> you know, Somebody something like it. that. So, <laughs> oh, also the reference, that uh, just to go back really fast, an older reference is Brady is said to look like Sylvester Stallone. Oh, there's so many references to like, yeah, it really dates your book when you, yeah, for sure. But like a rougher Sylvester Stallone, <laughs> which imagine that right now, everybody who's listening and try not to either swerve off the road or run off whatever path you're running on. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's another reference. But yeah, that scene was so fraught and I loved it. It was so tense. Well, yeah. and I think for me, the other thing is like everyone knows I love a grovel, but you know, he has really done her dirty in every way right now. Mm hmm. And this is not something where it would have been satisfying to have him, you know, she forgives him the next day or whatever, right? I mean, and so she hitchhikes out of there and he cannot find her for over a month. I mean, he is like searching everywhere for her and she is gone, gone, baby gone, right? And I love that. And I also thought there's like a really interesting choice that I think Susan Elizabeth Phillips makes, which is all of that is then from like all of the scene is really pretty much from the moment he carries her out of the tent. Like that moment on the bed, it's all in Alex's point of view. We don't know where she is either. We don't know what she's doing. We do not know. Like we are also like, where did she go? Because remember at the beginning of the book, she couldn't even really take care of herself. And now she's smart enough to like run away from her husband and her father with no phone and no credit cards and just like be gone. And I think it's like a great moment where we realize like, oh, there's all this hidden strength in Daisy that she now realizes what she's capable of. Right. She just, disappears and we're like god where is she and they are looking for her and they don't know either and i think it's great that we don't know Mm -hmm. i agree and i think it's also as the audience or as the reader i was never worried about daisy i think because we had seen how strong she was how capable she was how she was with people that i never doubted that wherever she was she was okay and that she would be able to make it work because she was so hardworking and so capable. And something that I really love is, you know, that we are in Alex's point of view. He finally realizes that. So she's in love with the entire menagerie. Mm-hmm. She's in love with a gorilla named Glenna who has ended up at a wildlife reserve sort of Alex got her there and he and Alex realizes, well, if she can't be around her, the menagerie, like the circus animals, she's going to be around the one animal she can be. And so that's how he finds her going to the zoo where Glenna is. And when he spots her for the first time, he's like, Oh, she looks different. She looks sadder. She looks thinner. And he's like, either he thinks it or anyway, 
he thinks like this is this is Daisy as I've made her. Yes. He realizes that he is the one who has like extinguished her her love light, I think he calls it. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really amazing too, because I think uh, throughout the book, him throwing out these barbs and him being overly critical of her mm-hmm. and all of these things that he does, he never thinks of what the consequence is in any sort of long term. Right. Because it's like obviously if you are around somebody and you're constantly critical of them and you don't believe them and all, and you don't but you refuse to say that you love them even you if you do it's like that eventually is going to take its toll and it was always going to take its toll and i just love that he saw her and recognized like oh this is this i did is my this. fuck up right. i did this right right um, yeah i think yeah. it's an, and that's it i feel like part of the reason this the ending is so powerful and i read it over and over again right like a couple of weeks ago or whatever at some point on faded mates who knows when this is live like at some point <laughs> i talked about like the reason i like to see men suffer in romance <laughs> is not like out external suffering like i don't want them hit by a car i want <laughs> them to suffer from like their own mistakes and and what sarah said was like yeah the suffering of wanting to be a better man and at that moment he is like i think up until that point I would say like he's like she's just doesn't she just wants to get away from me and it's not until he really sees her that he realizes like both the extent of what he's done but also that that she left because she was done right like he did this to her but like she had no intention ever on coming back she wasn't punishing him it was just over for her and Mm -hmm. I think it's really like talk about like hitting bottom and i feel like the grovel in a romance novel like this to me is really probably the best one ever because it's so real he really has to really suffer through look what i did to her look what i look what i did to her look yeah, what i did to us he, he loves and he also thinks that she has lost the baby i think yes. just because she doesn't look good and like the right. clothes she's wearing it doesn't look like she's as pregnant as she should be and he immediately is so yeah. sad about it. Right. You know? And it sort of makes you realize that, like, he did he did want this baby. And him saying those things is just, like, another string of him saying unbelievably cruel things that he doesn't mean. Yeah. Um, but so you know what else? That, yeah. What else is great about this grovel, though, is she doesn't immediately forgive him. She's no. not like, oh, great, you're back. I guess you found me. We're we're back together. <laughs> I mean, he like is basically like, you're coming with me. And he takes her back to the circus. And she is like, fine, I'll get back to work. But she is different. And she she's just like, she goes and sleeps in the tiger's cage every night. Or she like huddles up with Tater, the elephant who loves her. And she like gets under his like trunk or whatever. And, um, you know, she, I think the... It's important that, like, he basically then has to say, like, she's like, let me go. It's, like, two weeks later, and she's like, you have to let me go. And he agrees to it. I mean, that's the other thing. Like, she ran from him at once, but he has to also agree to let her go. I mean, this is, like, layers upon layers of this. And I think it's really powerful. And I think that's why this book ultimately, it's the ending to me that really makes this book. Well, when he gets down on his knees yeah. to Sheba over Shinjin, who Sheba says she sold. Right. 
And as much as Daisy loves Tater and she loved Glenda, she has a soul connection to this tiger. And so she was like, you need to get on your knees and you need to beg me to get this tiger back for Daisy. And he, it's his pride again, his pride, his pride. And it's so histrionic, this scene, (laughs) where this man, the idea of him just getting down on his knees is everybody's going nuts. Is he going to do it? Even Daisy's like, don't do it because I don't want, I know you as the proud man and don't make yourself into something you're not for me. But he gets on his knees and he says what she said because she is so, I don't want to say will, because she is willing to do stuff, but she says the only person who can, what is it, take my pride? I can, I'm the only person who can give right. somebody. I, well, I'm uh, nobody can demean up. me. I can only demean myself. I right. can only choose to, right? I, but it's a choice to say, I'm going to get on my knees for you because I want to. Now, and she does that for him sexually, right? Right. And in and every then, way, yeah, right. She's yeah. like, I'm going to just take this bullshit from you because fine, whatever. Because you can't take that thing that is me. Right, away. Unless I unless I give it to you. And so when he says, he kind of echoes the same thing. And God, I'm butchering it. I wish I wasn't butchering it. But he <laughs> says, echoes the same thing to her that she said. It is so cathartic. Yeah. And then it turns out Sheba did it because she she said, I'm sick of everybody moping around. I didn't sure. give away the tiger. It's coming back. <laughs> and Brady's like, like, you're a real fucking asshole. Let's and get she's married. Like, don't yeah, say I'm not a bad, like, I'm, don't say I'm a bad person. I will say, don't though. Don't fucking say I'm a bad person. This whole scene at some point when Alex is like, I'm not going to get on my knees. And Daisy thinks, okay, I actually highlighted it because I was cracking up. Daisy okay. thinks like, you know, like, oh, he cannot do it. What good would it do to save one magnificent tiger if she destroyed the other? I was like, listen, Sinjin is going to be shot. This motherfucker just needs to get on his knees for three seconds (laughs) and say, don't kill the tiger. Those are not actually the same thing. Like, but romance reasons, like, fine. He couldn't get on his knees. But let him get them caps dusty, lady. Come on. It's fine. But yeah, it's really um, I mean, I think that's a part that's I don't know, maybe there's some power in it. Maybe it's it's silly, but there's always a sense in, in this book that Daisy understands Alex better than he understands himself. Mm-hmm. And so therefore the like arrows and, you know, things he like slings at her, like, you know, his words or his meanness, it never really like impacts her until it's like you're going to have an abortion and until the whipping. And then mm-hmm. she's basically like, fuck you i'm out and i think that's why the book does still work for me because despite all of this other like there's a lot of really problematic crazy stuff right it doesn't feel like daisy is a victim in the book and i think that that's would have made it much harder to read oh yeah Yeah. right i think if daisy had been internalizing the things that were being said about her but she never does no no um and I also what? think that there's something to her relationship with Sinjin and her relationship with Alex and how she equates the two and how she oh, yeah. immediately has a very strong spiritual connection to the tiger. They speak telekinetically, which is <laughs> great. I love I it. I mean, tell the, him, 
tell him now. Oh my God. That's what I was going to say. I'm like, the best reveal of a heroine being pregnant is in this book. And it's just the tiger saying, tell him into her brain. And you're immediately like, fuck, she's pregnant. Yep. I was like, oh shit. So good. And gives you chills. Cause it's like, yeah, of course, Sinjin would know. And, I mean, that's amazing. And there's all, you know, she talks a lot about how his, uh, Sinjin's eyes and Alex's eyes are the same. Sure. And I think she sees them as being the same person in this. The gold. Yeah. yeah and, the, and the way that mysticism works in this book, you know, it's the circus. It's about illusions. It's about putting on a show. But there is this, it's that it's only her and this tiger that have this connection. Right. I, I thought was really powerful and it also made it feel so much more real that I'm like, oh yeah, she can hundred percent talk this tiger. Like obviously. obviously. She like takes uh, the tiger out. I mean, I like read this, I like forgot how much I loved all this. In the morning for everyone who would wake up, she'd let Sinjin out of his cage and they would like go hang out in the fields together. And I was like, mm-hmm. Of course they do. Of course. But sure. not if it was a residential area. She made no, sure to say she multiple was very times. Safe. But very I safe. yeah. That well, and also he escapes his cage because it's like uh, this right. old cage and, you know, goes up to a toddler and is like, maybe going to eat a toddler. <laughs> and Daisy <laughs> saves the day. And Daisy saves the day, of course, and like lays down with him and hugs him and walks him back to his cage. And they're sort of having a conversation as it's happening. And he's like, I'll go in the cage for you, I guess. I can't believe you're doing this to me. And she's like, I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's all amazing. Yeah. Yeah. They they become very, very close, obviously. He's at the wedding. <laughs> yeah. On a silver obviously. ribbon. Yeah. <laughs> Just I, a ribbon. Sure. And it's like also after watching like Tiger King, it is hard to not think of that as you're reading this book. But it's like this is a mythical version of <laughs> Tiger. Well, sure. You know what I always say to my students is animals are always symbols. And as soon as Sinjin rolls up onto the screen, you're like, oh, this is like Alex, right? Um, I feel like we should talk about the Romanovs. I really feel like we have to talk about the Romanovs. Sure. I Which, mean, the big thing that always happens in Twitter is somebody is like, people are always like, what's that book where the hero is in a circus, but also an art professor, but also trades um, in <laughs> Faberge eggs. in art and Faberge eggs, but then it's also a Romanov. <laughs> like that was so insane, but it is something about this book that that's introduced and you're like, all right. Sure. Like Yes. I didn't blink. I was like, makes sense. It tracks. <laughs> sure. Sure. And also that he's like, I mean, the other thing, though, that's really that I did kind of like about this book. So, OK, so he's like a Romanov, which, you know, to Daisy's father, the Romanov thing is like the most important. And it turns out that like her family has always like served the Romanovs. And so he saw this as sort of like a mystical way to like bring these two families together. Um. Alex and Daisy both think it's crazy, like, just, like, whatever. I mean, it's, like, true, but, like, doesn't matter. But one of the things that's really interesting is for – so Sheba is the one who actually owns the circus. And she comes from, like, a really proud circus heritage. Like, she's a flyer, I guess, like a trapeze artist. And, you know, Brady is, like, a Brooklyn butcher son who just came to love the circus. And one of the things that's, like, really interesting in this book is – you know, it's it's about like family and lineage, right? So Daisy is illegitimate. Her 
her father, who's like this kind of stick in the mud diplomat, again, a very 90s dad's job. I feel like I could name a bunch of books where like the bad guy's dad, like the the hero's dad or somebody was like a diplomat. Mm -hmm. Um, I have no idea why. I guess post US, I guess is maybe Soviet Union. Anyway, um, just like all those James Bond movies and all that international relations stuff. But um, he, he, her parents were never married, right? And then there's this whole thing about like, Brady's daughter Heather is like you know the sons are part of the you know the circus act but not Heather and I feel like it's you know when you're in some little world the rules of that world and like who are like the who's on top and who isn't and so you know Toshiba who is like a third generation flyer like having like a proud circus heritage (laughs) right really means something And, you know, Daisy is this, like, nobody. And it's, like, really fascinating how she values Alex's Markov, like, his, like, circus family roots, but not his Romanov ones. And I think that's just, like, another whole thing that's going on in this book is, like, but for Daisy and Alex, it's like, no, like, we're making this family together. None of that stuff matters, right? Love matters. Yeah. (laughs) Do, Do you think now, so Sheba and Alex had a thing when he was very young. Yeah. And she was older and she was in love with a, another guy who mm-hmm. ended up cheating on her. And then she hooks up with Alex in front of this guy to get her revenge. Right. And then they hook up again when he's older and she, the difference in their age is no longer too big of a deal. Right. And she falls in love with him, but he can't love. So he doesn't fall in love with her. Sure. But he says that she he doesn't think she actually loved him. He thinks she loved his his uh, circus roots. Right. I don't agree with that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think she did love him. What do you guys think? Hmm. I think she. Well, OK, I think she does love Brady at the end. Right. And yeah. even though their relationship is not like what I would want, like that tumultuous, like two really high powered, like hot tempered people together, she craves that. And so I don't know if Alex would have given her that because he's so contained. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I do think she loved him, but I don't think, I think it wasn't ever going to last. I mean, I don't know. I don't think she was honest about like their long-term prospects maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I think she Uh, also, I think she loved the him because he was in the circus family, because I think when, if she had genuinely loved him, I don't know if that level of like rage and animosity would have been existed there. mm -hmm. Like the way that she felt about him. Cause she hated Daisy in a way that it's like, I think if you love somebody and they kind of move on, you're not happy about it, but I think there's like a sort of a resignation or like, there's a part of you that's like, I do love this person. I do want this person to be happy. Even if you're not like toasting them at that wedding, but that, that exists. And I think Sheba hating Daisy so much the entire time, I think speaks to her feeling a level of ownership or that it would have only been right for us to be together and not necessarily for Alex, the, the human being. That's not sort of what she thinks of. Yeah. So I, yeah, I agree. I think her and Brady have a very like tumultuous relationship, but there's a lot of like sexual passion there. Like I, yeah. I think they probably have a lot of fun and she like loves his kids. And it's like, it seems like, I bet that is a very 
happy family, ultimately. One of the things that I thought was really interesting is, okay, so one of the things Susan Elizabeth Phillips, I think, is great at, and this book is a good example of it, is she really knows how to build secondary characters Mm -hmm. and make them really alive on page. And Heather is Brady's, like, 16-year-old daughter, right? She's the one who steals them. I mean, again, like, she's not on page that often, but she steals the money. She tries to, like, tell Alec she's in love with him, even though she's 16. She um, has her own, like, feelings of, like, not being good enough for her dad. And he's going to, like, send her back once he finds out that she was really the thief. But there's this, like, these moments where she's, like, a really important part of the narrative because she's the only one who really lets us into seeing how tender and motherly Sheba can be. She describes Mm -hmm. Daisy and Sheba as having a lot of like really common characteristics, like, right, like hugging her and touching her and encouraging her and training her. And it's like, I think without Heather, Sheba would have been a lot harder of a character, right? Mm -hmm. And that's why all that point of view stuff also really works because- we need it. Otherwise, Sheba does just really seem terrible. Yeah, Heather is actually the last POV that we yes. read. Right. She's The wedding is through her point of view. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The second wedding, because Daisy and Alex get married again. Th- that's true. This is like the real wedding, the yes. real, real wedding. Right. Yeah. So, and I think, too, Sheba being able to only have the because the the whole thing with Shinjun and sending and selling him to the hunter is a ruse and like she never right. actually did that. She did this all to sort of like because she does know Alex so intimately, she understands like what it's going to take and what's needed. Points. And so she, it shows a level of emotional intelligence that Shiva has, but I think she's also she's only able to do that because she does have Brady. And I yeah. think she's finally moved on, so she's like, "Okay, let's patch these two up because I don't want to hear anyone bitching about how sad Daisy is anymore but also like I want them to be together in a way um that I thought was really interesting too and it's it's also the importance of secondary characters it's not just like less secondary love story we've got to sort of pad it out it really is like nope this is all propelling this is all moving forward like yeah Susan Elizabeth Phillips is a fantastic author and like yeah even though she can be a bit wacky everything works and it really feels cohesive so this book was hot. It was. Because. Yeah. The, so that fight fuck scene between Sheba and Brady was oh, yeah. awesome. Because I didn't know where it was going. And then as soon as she's got her boobs out and she starts styling. Yeah. yeah. And Brady's like, what is she? Because this comes after you think they're going to just get into a fight or even like get physical. Brady. I know they they play with Brady being aggressive but not physical, but there's always that fear, you know, when you introduce that fact that he's got a fiery temper, he's pulling w- mm-hmm. women around and stuff. Yeah. And then when they start going at it, I was like, this is so awesome. I know this is not a relationship to be in because <laughs> right. it works for them, but if I was in that sort of relationship, it'd be so exhausting. But just... <laughs> There, Alex and Daisy together was really sexy. Oh, yeah. And her, it's it's funny because the scene that I liked, and I know it only works because of their personalities, is the, she thinks he's a doctor. Oh, yeah. And he is, but he's a doctor. He's, <laughs> he's like, like art a, history. A, a art history doctor. <laughs> like, no offense. You're still a doctor. It's hard work and it's a lot. But she thinks she has an ear infection. 
she heard someone called and asked for you know Doctor yeah, Alex Markov. Yeah, yeah. And she's like, "What kind of doctor are you? What kind of doctor are you?" And then he's like, "Fine, you know, I'll check you out. Whatever." He lays her down. He does all this stuff. He makes her take her underwear off and all this yeah. stuff. Uh, and she is so naive, and and he is tricking her because he loves <laughs> to trick her. But there, but it works because of she knows he's not going to hurt her, and she says it in this scene. Yeah. Like, I trust him. This seems unorthodox, but I know he's not going to hurt me. That's very important in this scene for it to be sexy and for it to work. Yeah, if it's it really is, playful, if, yeah. It's playful. And if it's if it's just a scene with a guy who's pretending to be a doctor and the girl doesn't know, right. that's not cool. But in this scene, it's so, it's, it's so sexy because that's the relationship. And then later when she's, you know, he's trying to come back to her and he takes her to the re- the, the the diner or the restaurant and he's feeding her all this food and she won't eat and he starts tricking her yeah. by saying, oh, this is dry, this chicken's dry. And she's like, no, it looks really good. Oh, it's so good. And he's like, oh, this is so spicy, you wouldn't like it. She's like, no, I wanna try it. It's not spicy, yeah. it's just her nature and it's so sweet. And you know, like we said earlier, she they think she's a feather brain. I think she's just really trusting and naive, but also no, she has this just core of kindness goodness, yeah. and goodness and belief in other people's goodness that makes her so attractive. I'll tell you what else, though, really dates this book, which is after she comes back, after he brings her back, before and before she says, right, we're leaving, there's a scene where um, Alex essentially says, and it's, I, I will tell you what, it's, it is not really well, like, there's not a lot of it on page. And it's Alex's point of view that he, he, he just like loves her so much. And he's like, they're sleeping in the same bed. And he wakes up in the middle of the night and like, they have sex, but he oh, realizes yeah. the next morning or like sort of even as it's kind of happening that she like was not into it, that she was just laying there. And he like, he's like, he can't even look himself in the face because he feels like a rapist. This no part of this is ever from her point of view ever. Mm -hmm. She never mentions it. She like she never says anything even verbally that he reports. And I will tell you what, like that is a scene that I do not believe an author in 2021 would ever include in the book. No. And I'm not going to make excuses for it, but I, I just want to say like that is there. And I, again, I was sort of like, I was like, oh, I think when I read this, I just do 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 right past that because, um, yeah, that's, yeah, that's that's, written, that's pretty unforgivable. Yeah, it's written so nonchalantly too that I I actually had to reread it. Yeah, because I at first I was like, oh, he didn't have sex with her, and then I because like, I thought because oh, because yeah. I'm so used to modern romances. That's that's the thing that's interesting with me reading these ones from yeah. 96 and 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 not the modern like post some Claypus and, right, and Sarah's right. stuff and I had to reread it like twice yeah and I was like oh he had sex with her and she didn't want to have sex with him right and that was so weird for me and I yeah I know it's like I really it, it is you can't make excuses for it and it is like of the time but everything else in this book was so awesome but yeah that was it is tough. It is tough to read something like that. Yeah. Well, and I think, I mean, it's tough to, like, so not only do I, like, 
I think it's also tough that like we never hear what Daisy says or thinks about it. Mm -hmm. And so it also feels like another like erasure in the text. Right. And so, yeah, if I were to point out the thing, like as much as I love this book, like that is one thing that I think really um, makes it like truly problematic in a way that cannot be like, I'm not going to make excuses for it. It's there. Um, I don't even really think it's, you know, it just, it's, it's some fascinating choices were made and I don't think they would be made today. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think it's also showing sort of, you know, he describes Daisy as being like more or less just like indifferent to it as it's happening, which is like, she just lays there and is like, you're doing that. And that's it. It's like, there's no information from her. And that I think is problematic both in like the way the scene plays out that it's there at all. Right. And again, I just don't think, I don't think a lot. Yeah. 25 years later, I don't think anybody would write it that way. And the thing is you could, you could excise that section. Sure. And because it really doesn't, like you said, because there's no repercussions from it either, right? right? So right. if you excise that, there there wouldn't be any mention of it later. So you could take it out, which is a good thing. But also, it's a bad thing that you could just have that and then there be no repercussions, right? Like, there yeah. should be tendrils to that that there's not. Right. And I guess I would say, though, in a weird way, I'm glad that it has stayed in because I, I do have really mixed feelings, for example, about, like, books like sort of formative texts that get rewritten for like modern mores. Like mm-hmm. it was in that book in 1996 and it, it was doing what it did and we all have to kind of deal with it. And I do feel like even just as a marker for how things have changed. Um, but yeah, like the fact that it happens and like you said, there's no tendrils to it. It's just, it's like a way to show Alex feeling bad. It's not great. Yeah, I agree. I agree keeping it in because it also it does show it's a snapshot of the time. I mean, like we've talked about how this book is very 90s and a lot of ways that are like kind of silly and kind of fun. But I don't think taking like you if if you needed to take it out, that's I mean, it's up to Susan Elizabeth Phillips if she feels like it's necessary. But I feel like it, it sort of shows like, oh, we've also come a long way in this way as well. Yeah. And it's sort of, you know, showing that. So I think that's important, too. Well, here is the big, big question. <laughs> Would you fuck them? I know it's so strange to do it right after that conversation. I know. I'm like, I mean, but obviously, yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they both seem very hot. Why not? I mean, is this like a together? Like I get to say it together? Like Daisy <laughs> would never be in a threesome, right? No. Yeah, for sure. Um, Shiva and Brady too. I mean, honestly, I was gonna yeah. say absolutely. Yeah. I don't no, know. About... Shiva and Brady, you would be on like at a resort somewhere. Oh god, and he would be <laughs> they like, would be oh my wife. Out with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're all in the hot tub. I would yeah, also would... like to categorically state that I think it'd be cool to sleep with a tiger purring in yes. his cage. Okay. Oh, yeah. Thank you for saying that. I was gonna say it, and I want to snuggle up to that tiger. <laughs> I don't care what anybody thinks. Yeah, obviously I'm, that's just me this living is a my pure best life. Fantasy, but that's some real hot girl shit right there, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's like, amazing. This tiger is like I've tamed, like literally tamed a tiger, right? Yeah. 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 Oh, a three-way with the tiger and Daisy. No question. <laughs> I'm just gonna say because who cares? We're all thinking it. Sure. Yeah. But this is one of those. Like, yeah. Like I love all of like the circus animals and all the stuff with the animals was so amazing. But growing up, we were never allowed to go to the circus because my mother was always like, no, they're mean to the animals. And like they are. And now there isn't really circus animals as much. Like I think 
Yeah. Um, Ringling Brothers has gone away with it. But like the fantasy of being able to hang out with like a gorilla and have an elephant as your little pet dog, basically, (laughs) and a tiger as your best friend. Like that would be amazing. That would be so fun. Can I tell you guys a really cute story? Um, When my when we my son was little, like between one and like between one and I was like two and a half. We only lived in Seattle for like a year and a half when he was really small. And we had, of course, like the pass to the zoo. And at that time, there was a baby elephant at the Seattle Zoo. And my son, like, loved this elephant. Like, and he would say, because he was a baby and didn't really know a lot of words, he would say, N, N. And that meant, (laughs) take me to the elephants, mother and father. (laughs) And we would get in the car and we would go and, like, go to the zoo and just watch the elephants. Like, that's all he ever wanted to do. And he would say, N, N and we were talking about the elephants and so like having like daisy and tater i was like oh daisy and her baby elephant yeah so so sweet all right should we do some goodreads lids yes yes best ever contemporary romance books i mean maybe it's pretty good i mean i'd say for me sure yeah it is a best accidentally pregnant in romance novels yes i mean yeah yeah also this is like a very small sampling like this was on literally like 20 pages and i just got bored at a certain stage <laughs> sure. and i do have like a full-time same, job right? so <laughs> uh slow burn romance would you yes, call this a ish. slow burn i would not call this a slow burn i wouldn't they are married the first scene and they have sex pretty early so yeah I would they say get physical very i early. would not call it a slow burn no off the list yeah girly girls romance heroines who love fashion and maybe just a little high maintenance. And maybe yeah, she starts out as high maintenance. Yeah, I would say. I would say I'm okay with that. Although she gets over it, but it almost feels like a little punishing when she's like covered in like muck. So yes, but sure. Something that I did like about this book that I don't think is talked about enough in culture is like average looking daughters of like super hot moms. Yes. <laughs> Yes. And it is like very hard and it is something you have to deal with. And I felt like that her being really into having her hair and her makeup yeah. and always presenting. She was well. never as beautiful as her mother. Yeah. Which she like keeps saying and which like maybe is true. Maybe I mean, her, her mother was an international supermodel. So I have to imagine she was like pretty easy. on. The eyes, yeah. But... Have you guys ever read the book A Taste of Pleasure by Chloe Blake? Her wow. the heroine of that book, her mom is also a supermodel. And the the heroine is like a chef and she's like plus sized and so it's like especially weird. But it what you know, because she's like, I was never my mother is literally a, like a thin supermodel, so it's like the body image stuff too. But at one point she goes to her mother and is kind of like eh, upset about something, and her mother was like, We are not people who cry, like we are not people you have Michelin stars, and I made love to David Bowie. <laughs> and i was like that's amazing so if we're looking to add another like we can make our own goodread shelf like right like my mom was a supermodel those are our two books yeah and how could you be sad if you if you had fucked david bowie i mean come on modern marriage of convenience romances sure i know this is a contemporary but is it modern like when when is modern able to be used because this was 96 so it doesn't i know it's not a historical but when is the cutoff to modern? Because yeah, this doesn't feel necessarily modern. Right. No. Yeah. I might be splitting hairs here. No, but. it's true. I, I think it. so. Because like modern art is like the 20s to the 50s. So. Yeah. But I think like, w- would you say the a lot of p- 
people say that the modern romance started with Bridgerton? Is that what people say? Like the modern type of romance or is it no, before that? I don't know. I mean, we sometimes say 2000 okay. like, as being kind of a, but it's still pretty modern. Yeah. yeah. I mean, romance is only like 40 that. years old, right? Yeah. I mean, true, true. genre romance, not like Jane Eyre. Don't, don't call up my ass at everybody who loves Jane Austen <laughs> or Pride and Prejudice or whatever. Sorry. Don't at no. Jen. This is, I think, yeah, we should do um, a mini so that it's just why we can't stand Pride and Prejudice because... But I I really don't want to have to read it. I just want to be like, I'm so bored with it. And you have to really make 800 million adaptations of it. Can't we stop already? Oh, that's the thing. It's like, it's fine. It's not a bad book. It's a fine book. But like, can we just... I know. Get off the train or just start doing it different anyway. That's really far off the tiger mind meld Goodreads shelf. Uh, no humorous romance books this is funny i think yes i thought so too sure i love when he hits on all the waitresses and she comes up with reasons why so funny (laughs) to to turn them off i love that too because that's also showing that they're on the same page and pretty quickly alex is doing that to see what her reaction is and not because he actually wants to like demean her in any way he just thinks it's funny and it is so you know i would too uh best boy hates girl then loves her books yeah. Yeah, sure. Cry tearjerker romances. Did anybody jerk tears? I I, I didn't jerk any tears, but I could have. Maybe. I wouldn't call Bad it. Bad Boys Meet the Virgins. Sure, obviously. Yep. Modern day virgin heroines. Again, the modern is Yeah. Yeah. She's a virgin though. Mail order brides and arranged marriages. It's an arranged marriage, yeah. I guess, but... Hmm. Petite heroine, big hero. Yeah, she's very small. Yeah, I guess. Sure. Best fake relationship turned real. Sure. Yeah. They're not, it's like, it's a fake, they're not trying to fool anybody with a relationship necessarily. Yeah, it's just, right, that's true. It's just what it is. It's just temporary. Yeah. Um... Unexpected pregnancies and single moms. Uh, no insta love here. Contemporary romance only. No, yeah, it's I would say it's not insta love. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Fresh scent of pining hero. Hmm. He pines at the end, but I wouldn't say this is fresh scent of pining hero just because yeah. usually that's pining throughout. Yeah. Or like pining. Yeah. yeah. Like as a state of being that has to be resolved not I fucked up and now I'm pining. Right. Like Derek yeah. Craven pines pretty early, like has fallen yeah. in love with Sarah early and then he's dealing with it emotionally. Like that's what right. I want. Right. Agree. Uh, love is a circus. Romances with circuses. Oh, yeah. Obviously. <laughs> Great list. Hero ignores, spurns or ridicules her love. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, yes. <laughs> Starchy hero gets unstarched. He is pretty starchy at the beginning. And she does say, she even says he's starchy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Desert Isle Keeper romance genre. I would take this to a desert island. I mean, I carried it around my entire like life for 25 years, so obviously that's true for me, too. I'm going to third that. <laughs> <laughs> he who gives great grovel. Oh, yes. God, yes. Yeah, the best. Some, yes, this is... 
This is grovel porn. This is, oh <laughs> God, it's so good. Yeah, for sure. He really suffers. Then, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it's amazing. Um, and then finally, this is an interesting one because like, could this happen? Books that should be made into movies. I mean, I would watch the shit out of this movie if it was made in 1998. Yeah, I, it's hard for me to imagine. I think his meanness Okay, the only reason his meanness works is because we see into his brain and hers. Yes. If we were just watching him be this shitty to her, I I, I actually think it would be harder. I think it'd be hard mm-hmm. to watch. I think we really yeah. need that insight into their their brains. You'd have to soften him too to the point where it wouldn't have the impact. Yeah, I agree. I I agree too, and also like, how would you work with all those animals? <laughs> yeah, and then knows. if you can't, then don't bother. Yeah, I'm not getting have, all of Sinjin. I don't want him at all. I, I you need to have tiger cuddling, or it just is What's not a watch even? for me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and I also um, think some of that would be harder to even believe. Like her dancing around the tiger, you'd be like, "What are you doing, lady?" It's kind mm-hmm. of magical in a book, right? But like on screen, it might seem really reckless or foolish. Yes, yeah. so true. Which I guess I will... is what everyone else was seeing, too. And everyone else was horrified, but... Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, should we do tropes? Clayton, do you have tropes? Alpha male. I would say he's an alpha yes. hole to an extent. I would agree. Oh, yes. Yeah. Circus romance. Arranged marriage. Hidden baby, because she hides it from him. Mm, okay. Accidental pregnancy. There is forced proximity, because they got to be in that trailer together. There is one bed, so she does sleep on the couch, but there's one bed, so that's fun too. Side side romance or what that's that called second, that's like a secondary romance. Secondary yeah. romance, loved it. Multiple POVs, which I don't normally like, but really loved in this book. Yeah. And secondary romance sex scene, which mm-hmm. I don't think Aaron, have we read a book that has that? No. Um, and then fake birth control pills. Sure. And you do have it all. Wow. Tiger human romance. Because <laughs> there was some heat there. There was some heat there. Amazing. I do love that he's like thinking back and he's like, oh, yeah, normally birth control pills are in a blister pack. And this was just like a loose bottle. Of <laughs> they were in like, a tic-tac. Uh, they were in a tic-tac box. I imagine that in my brain. I was like, what did it look like? I was like, I had to just let it go. <laughs> Yeah, that was absurd. Jen, did you do any? I didn't tell you to do tropes, so if you did I would add, well, I, I think I would have said a lot of them. I would add grovel, the grovel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would add, um, like, something about, like, like, it's not like a glow up. It's like the glow down. I don't know what else to call it, right? Oh, glow down, but, yeah. Right? Like, her whole thing is like really like i don't have to be like this pretty girl i can be more and i don't it i don't that's like a terrible phrase i don't know what else to say but i do think like that's the only phrase i can come up with erin what are your tropes uh pretty much the same i have enemies to lovers arranged marriage forced proximity secret royal Mm. Uh, oh i had that one too sunshine in a gro in a grump animals circus romance bad dad family just bad dads all around bad dad uh hero had a bad child hero can't love accidental pregnancy academics gone wrong (laughs) just sex because he's like we'll just have sex and i won't fall in love with her a likely story um main characters are performers slow burn 
I thought it, well, the love was slow burn. And then finally, I can't believe you didn't say this, Clayton, love triangle with an elephant baby. baby (laughs) Yeah, I was too focused on the tiger love. Sure. Yeah, you can't forget, you can't sleep on Tater. No, Tater. I will say, though, there is a trope in this that I do think dates it as well. Too old to go back to school. Yeah. Oh, yeah, what you were saying? I right. was 26. I'm I was right. like, no. Yes. Yeah. If you take anything from this book, it's never too late to start <laughs> over. Right. Yeah. And become a kindergarten teacher. Like, I do love also that her main life goal is, like, so painfully yeah. attainable. Where it's like, right. y- you can become a kindergarten teacher right yeah absolutely but i think he and like that's some like the weird thing i liked about this book is he he comes to really believe in her like he's like you could figure out how to make friends with animals you can go back to college and become a kindergarten teacher it's gonna be fine and i like that because her own father never thought she was gonna be any good yeah Mm now they're living in connecticut with an elephant and a tiger and she goes to school i bet her kindergartners love coming to her house and seeing her elephant and her tiger like she's I mean, the hello. coolest teacher <laughs> i've got a pet tiger do don't you mess think, with me kids do you think shinjin still alive you guys no he's dead oh god i want to think <laughs> Sorry, about please. it i oh want to think god. he's like so gray i just want to be like regal and gray he was already old wasn't he already an old tiger yeah, he was, he was like old. 18 yeah they yeah. only lived to be like 30 but i'm sure he had a happy last decade everyone's just like frozen time for me frozen in time right like they just live in 1996 everybody it's fine yeah that's they drive that's a, a ford they drive a saturn obviously it's fine. Yes. i had a saturn <laughs> i know you did of course i did why would uh, Jed, what are, or Jennifer, what are you swooning about? Is there anything that you're watching or reading that you're loving? Um, Honestly, you guys, I'm like, I don't know. I'm so tired. I'm like, what have I read or loved? <laughs> um, Oh, listen, I don't want to make you too jealous, but I have read Devil in Disguise, the new Lisa <gasps> Claypus that comes out in July. <gasps> and I requested it on NetGalley and they haven't said anything yet, but yeah. I'm hopeful. Well, I, you know what? Here's my thing about Claypus. She is the best. And I feel like any Claypus book, I just like turned off my brain and read it and enjoyed it. And it was delightful. Mm-hmm. Mr. Reed's Romance and I watched um, WandaVision and The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And I quite liked that a lot. And, um, but I would say no, you guys. Honestly, I'm teaching and it's like another month of school and I'm tired and I fall into bed every night at eight o'clock. That's what happens to me. Oh no! It's almost your bedtime. We got twenty minutes. Before I know. You start I'm like, down. well, luckily Let's it's wrap six, it up. Luckily, luckily it's six thirty here. We're fine. Okay. Phew. Phew. <laughs> um, no, I mean those are the two TV shows and an excellent book. I mean, I think that's pretty good. Yeah, that's awesome. I feel good about it. Clayton, what are you swooning about? Well, anybody who listens to this podcast knows that I love romance, but my other love is MTV's The Challenge, and. <laughs> There is a new spinoff of The Challenge on Paramount Plus called The Challenge All-Stars. And it gets together some of the old challengers who haven't been on The Challenge or even on TV, some of them, for almost 20 years. So we're talking about people in their 30s, 40s, and up. And it is an amazing blast from the past. I love it. 
and I'm enjoying it so much. It's on, I think when this comes out, there'll be four episodes out. It's only seven episodes, which is a bummer. I want it to be going on forever, but hopefully there'll be other seasons. I'm trying to shout it out as much as, as possible. And I just love it. It's just, they play some great old nineties music along with, with it. It's old school dailies, which, which I love. The new challenge can be too hardcore for me. Too many Insta celebrities on there. Although I'm talking so much about the challenge, but I have no one else to talk to. I'm not even talking to you guys about the challenge. I'm talking <laughs> at you about the challenge. If anybody loves the challenge, email us because I want a, a challenge buddy. But that's what I'm swooning about. What about Aaron. you, Aaron? Yeah, what are you swooning? So I'm swooning about a TV show called Rutherford Falls. So it only just premiered this week, but the entire season is on Peacock. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to try to like savor this and only watch like one or two episodes at a time. That was a lie. I watched everything this weekend. It's amazing. And it's a it's from a writer called uh, Sienna Teller O'Neill, who I really love. She's written on Superstore. And it is the story of this man who is obsessed with his family lineage. And there's this statue in the center of this town that his family founded and they want to take down the statue. He is best friends with a woman, with an indigenous woman from like the nearby tribe. She wants to have a cultural center and it is just so well written and so well done. And what I really love is it's, it's really funny and you can just watch it as like just a TV show and it, and it hits all those beats, Mm -hmm. but it is also exploring a lot of issues that are going on today without having, without being like, today is a very special episode. And we're going to talk about right. land rights or something. It is all so organic. And also it's a Ted Lassoian in a way that everyone yeah. is a very good person trying their best. Mm-hmm. And it's just that sometimes two people trying their best are then at odds. And that's where the conflict of the story comes from. Not from anyone being bad or good or having bad intentions. Um, and it's, it, it's also very diverse in a way that feels effortless. Um, Michael Gray eyes, who's just an actor I've loved for a really long time is playing very, a comedic role, which I, he's never done before, which I thought was really great. Um, and yeah, and it's an, it's an amazing show. So if you're looking for a new show, Rutherford Falls, it's fantastic. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for joining oh God, us. So this fun. was so much fun. Every oh, time yes. you come, it's the best. Um, how can people find you? Okay, so I am Jen Reads Romance on Twitter, and I am co-host of the Faded Mates podcast, which you have heard us. We've all been together before. And one of these days, you guys are going to be on our podcast for something. We're like a hot mess. And you know what? <laughs> but we love you so much, and you're our favorites. And um, otherwise, I'm just like exhausted in my house with my Kindle. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) So find Jen just tired, trying to stay awake. Just find me tired. Like, just tired, everybody. (laughs) Um, All right. Well, yeah. Thanks so much for joining us. It's always the most fun when you come, when you and Sarah come. um, And we'd love to come on Faded Mates. I feel like every once in a while, I just get a text message from in a group thread yeah, that's just it's like, like you guys need to come on the show and i'm like I know. yes and then it's and like then it goes away and well it feels and now like that maybe it's like summer trick. is kind of our like low season so i feel mm-hmm. like realistically i'm not going to make any promises because maybe it's going to be next fall but it's all going to work out i believe it 
Yeah. Listen, whenever you want us, we're showing up. So it's fine. I am oh, absolutely. so excited. We've already picked our themes. Every yes. week I download Faded Mates and I'm like, if somebody does my theme, I will be legitimately <laughs> sad. Well, you better tell us now so we won't let anyone else, anyone else have it. I've told you guys. I know. But I can't remember to, it. I'm like, it's but I can't Westerns. Remember. I'm Westerns oh, and Clayton right. is the Minotaur. See? Oh, that's right. Of course. Yeah. Of so course. make sure nobody else does a Minotaur your, episode. Your yeah, people are, are clamoring to do yeah. Minotaur. The maze, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, so t- if you guys have a chance to rate, review, subscribe us or Faded Mates, take your, do it. It's how people find us. We really appreciate it. You guys have been really wonderful at that. Um, if you love MTV's The Challenge, um, if you Thank loved you. this book, if you want to suggest a book for us to read, if you just want to say hi, you can always email us at learningthetropespodcast at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at Learning Tropes. We're on Instagram at Learning the Tropes. We have our Facebook group, the Learning the Tropes Troop. And then we have merch. Some people have been sending us pictures of them going to get their uh, vaccine shots in their merch. And we love to see that. And also everybody get your vaccine if you haven't and you are able to. And, and Jen, really quick, because we, we're going to have a mini-sode next week. Okay. And oh, then the yes. week after that is our 100th book. <gasps> and I would like to ask you, oh as a God. romance expert, mm-hmm. do you have a suggestion? See, I don't know if I could top this one, though. That's so hard. Mm. Now, I think that the we should do something that's close to Aaron's heart, because Aaron is the reason why this podcast started. She fostered yeah, a love for romance inside of me, and that's I think true. it's only fair that Erin gets to do something close to her heart if she wants to. So obviously, I should pick a Western for you then, or like a cowboy romance. Right. Well, my cowboy, the two that are the ones that are close to my heart are Eyes of Silver, Eyes of Gold by Ellen O'Connell. Already yeah. a few people in our troupe are reading it, which yeah. is great. Um, and Nine Rules to Break When Romancing a Rake, which is obviously Sarah. Sure. Because uh, we've only done one McLean. Oh, yeah. The other one that is like highly suggested has been Lord of Scoundrels, which is also great. Sure. Okay. Can I throw out Beverly Jenkins, though? Because yeah. I do feel like when it comes to like a, a Western, like a historical Western, literally like no one does it better. Um, I, I mean, like, and she has so many of them that are like set in like the West and, you know, kind of post Civil War. Um, and I think that like there's a bunch of different ones that you could choose. But I, so I don't know that like which one I would like necessarily say. So I feel like you could go that route, which is like the, like the literal, like, like the gold standard in Westerns, historical Westerns would be Beverly Jenkins. I mean, on the other end of the spectrum, you could read like some really like bonkers, bananas, like, you know, Monica McCarty Western where, you know, they have sex on a horse. I mean, I have written a whole entire thing about, you know, sex on a horse. And I feel like maybe you should (laughs) look at that list. So, yeah, we'll check it out. Absolutely. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for for joining us. And and again, Jennifer, for joining us. And thank you, Jen. So fun. We'll see you next week. Bye, everybody. Happy reading. Happy reading.